I love that bumper video. I feel like, like it's the start of something. I should be doing flips or something. It's so good. Yeah, whoa, would be right. <laughs> 911. Uh, so, um, you know, every time when I start my sermons, I like to take a few moments just to highlight things that are happening in the church because. Uh, as the body works, you, you obviously, or you, you can't know everything that's going on. And so I like to share with you what's going on for, for a couple reasons. Number one, so you know when you give your money, it's being used for ministries that matter. And so I'll share different things so you know, yeah, I'm get, I'm, as I give, the, the ministry is happening. And because, you know, unless you take time and effort and follow through that giving, you don't really know where it's all being spent. Now, you can know that at our annual general meeting. It's coming up, or you can request a copy of our budget so you know where it is. But it's nice to see what's happening. And then uh, it's, it's, I also tell you that because sometimes we feel like we're, we're, we're losing. As a Christian in our culture, man, it just seems like we're getting more and more constricted. But what we don't realize is that God is breaking out and doing things, but we're just not aware of them. We're not aware of what's going on in our own church, let alone our country and our world. And so I'd just like to share with you some of the things. And I want to share it too so you know that the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of people and in this church. And I think that's important for us to know. So as we pray and just as we come into worship, we have a context to worship God. And so Richard stole my thunder on thanking, uh, thanking Rachel and uh, Lori for doing uh, the... Um, Harvest market, it was fantastic. Uh, there was a lot of things that hit me when I came in. The, like uh, people singing, and, and they were a lot of them were from our church. Like young, uh, I don't know if there was any guys, but there's young women singing that were from our, our church, and, and a prayer ministry, and then all kinds of help, and a clothing ministry, and plus all the vendors that were in here. But that's, while there was a whole bunch of people, and that was really cool, you know what impressed me the most? Was the people in those, uh, I'm not sure what the color of t-shirt was. The, what, what color did the, you have, I'm colorblind. They're kind of a rusty color, yeah, whatever it was. And, uh, but they were everywhere. And it was a lot of you. And I was so impressed to see the body pulling together and making this happen, serving, helping, before, during, after. And so that was really cool and I appreciate that. And then uh, another thing I want to highlight, I have some pictures for you. Uh, this is called, you would probably not know about this. This is called Beautiful Mess. And it's an arts program for people. And most, most of the people that are in this, they're kids. Most of the kids that are in that aren't necessarily from our church. But where do you go to have your, you, your development in art? And you can go anywhere for sports, but where do you go if you're, you have a real skill at art? And well, we have uh, Christina Yan and Alyssa Kavanaugh and Annika Choi and Judy McKnight. Of course, what doesn't Judy do? And they're all helping out in this uh, beautiful mess. And that's really cool. And what I like about it is it's a chance where they share the gospel with the participants that are part of it. And that's happening quietly, I, I think, uh, on a Monday or Tuesday night. It happens quietly. Uh, and then uh, we, we have other programs happen, but I just want you to know that so you can pray for those four leaders and those kids that are part of a beautiful mess. Isn't that cool? And so that's really cool. 
Also, uh, at the end of the service, right over here, uh, Buffer's Coffee, that's where I, get a ch- I offer uh, opportunity just to meet you. I'd love to meet you if you're generally new here. Not your first time necessarily, though if it's your first time, you're more than welcome to come over. But if you're new here and uh, we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to just put your name face together and get a chance to meet with you. That happens right after the service. Dave will just remind us, but right back in that corner. And uh, apparently we have the best coffee that can be found north of the 401. So you might want to just stop over for the coffee. <laughs> okay, so we have been studying the Ten Commandments. Now before we start, I want to, because well, we're at, at Commandment 8 and 9 today. And I, I just want to bring uh, something to you that may, that, that I hope is clear. And there are two things that, sh- that are standing out to me as I go through the study. The first thing is, as we study the Ten Ten Commandments, it is amazing how when I study them, I think there is no way I could keep these Ten Commandments. Not all the time. Some days, I do okay. I didn't kill anybody yet today, so I'm doing okay. But it's not just the outward actions, it's the inward part that is implied by them. It's not enough for me to worship, come here and sing the songs and lift up God in my voice, but I'm supposed to do it with a heart of gratitude and submission and obedience and love toward God. Well, I don't always feel like that. And so, consequently, some of my thoughts and some of my words and some of the things that I do don't always follow through with the Ten Commandments because of what's going on on the inside. And I'm never, it's not just I'm not supposed to harm my neighbor, I'm supposed to love you too. Well, I don't always love you, and I don't always speak well of you, or I don't always think well of you, and I don't always want to do what's best for you because I'm broken just like you. And so it's not just the outward part of the commandments, it's the inward requirement that Jesus says they imply upon us. And therefore, I can't read these and understand that inward part without thinking, there is no way I could keep these commandments. And what do many people say when it comes to, if they believe that there is an afterlife, and you ask them, when you stand before God and have to give account of yourself, what are you going to say? They're going to say, well, I've lived a pretty good life. Well, clearly they haven't read these or understood that it's not just you didn't kill anybody, it's that you love God from the heart with every word, every thought, every deed, every motive, and you've loved your neighbor as yourself. I, I, I don't think I, any of us could say that. And so what it does is it points me to my brokenness, but it points me to say, I need grace and mercy. And that then points me to Jesus. Because God, Jesus is God's gift of grace and mercy to us. He died on the cross, took our place to pay for our sin so that we could be reconciled to him, that we can have our sins forgiven, and that God would put his spirit within us and begin to change us from the inside out. I am forgiven for all the times and ways I have failed and will fail these ten because of God's grace and mercy found in Jesus. And so we we talk here about Well, how do I receive that grace and mercy? It's A, B, C, right? You have to admit that you're broken and sinful. That's a biblical practice of confession. 
So admit to God, yeah, I'm broken, I'm sinful, but I have to believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the only payment for my sin. That's called faith in the Bible. And then I have to choose to surrender myself, my life, to Jesus and follow him. That's called repentance in the Bible. And as I admit and believe and choose, then I enter into relationship with God and I'm forgiven and given the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing that comes out of a study of these because it points to my own brokenness, which then turns me to look for grace and mercy from God. The second thing that comes out is now that I am a Christian, I know how to live in a way that honors God because that's what these 10 talk about. And not just the outward actions they talk about, but the inward reality of where my heart should be. And because I've been given the Holy Spirit when I was got, uh, saved, when I put my faith in Christ and I chose to follow him, I now have the word of God that instructs me in how I should live. I have the spirit of God that empowers me. And I have the cross that holds me up when I fail. Now that's a lot from 10 words, from these 10 commandments. And if you get nothing else, I hope you realize that yes, I can't keep them, but I have a God that I put my faith in and I trust him to help me now walk in obedience so that when I fall, I can pick up. Uh, he can pick me up through forgiveness and reconciliation. If you have not surrendered your faith, to, surrendered your life to Christ, then now's the time to really think that through and to make a decision. So, with that intro, <laughs> let's go to uh, the next two commandments that I want to talk about. Verse 15 and 16. You shall not steal. Hard stop, period. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, I went to Hager and Schwartz. There, guess what? What do you think Hager and Schwartz is? A law firm, right? Yeah, it's a law firm down in the States. And they, because they listed on their website the four most common types of stealing that happen in the U.S. Probably fairly similar, I would guess, to Canada. Are they up there yet? No. Well, I was going to get you to guess. Here they are. The fourth most common grand theft, property over 5,000. The third most common identity theft, then burglary, and the most common is shoplifting. Now, as I got thinking about this, I thought, I wonder how many people sitting in our congregation have recently done grand theft or identity theft or burglary. And I would guess few, very few. Here's why. Not because we're better than other people. It's because all three of those require premeditation. You have to think about it. You have to plan it. You have to get other people to help you. And in that span of time, if you're truly a believer, I got to think that the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and, and things that God runs you into are going to really discourage you from doing any of those actions. Now, I'm not saying there might not be some here that may have participated in that. And if you are, are and you think it's okay, well, clearly you're believing a lie. And if you have and you've repented from it, well, then you're free of it. You don't have to worry about it anymore. But shoplifting. I got this phone for zero. 
I just put it in my pocket and walked out. It's been great for me. Shoplifting, I highly recommend it. <laughs> I was surprised at how common shoplifting is. Let me share with you a bit of a story here. Betsy Sampson is a well-educated, upper-middle-class woman with a supportive husband and a very successful career. She is also a compulsive shoplifter. Every day for almost 15 years, she brought home hundreds of dollars worth of stolen goods which she did not want or even need. Samson said her habit is shameful, dangerous, illegal, immensely time-consuming, and until a few months ago, impossible to resist. So this isn't a person that, you know, had to eat or had to, you know, find some clothes. This is a person who is, has lots of income, has a, uh, a great job, is highly respected in her community, and secretly she goes into stores and steals and shoplifts because she could not resist the temptation. Now this is where I was surprised. She told almost no one, including her husband of 10 years. That's not what surprises me. This is what surprises me. According to shoplifter, lifter, shoplifters, not shoplifters, shoplifters alternative, who, a national recovery organization from kleptomania says one in 11 Americans shoplift. One in 11. Now I got to think that that stat isn't too different in Canada. And I got to think, if that stat is true in Canada, then I would guess some of us here struggle with shoplifting. An estimated 85% of shoplifters do not steal because they need or want what they take. Rather, they cannot resist the impulse to steal. It's not that people need it, 85%. It's not that they need it, it's they can't resist. So Dr. John Grant, who's one of the leading researchers on kleptomania, writes, when I lecture on kleptomania, people will come up to me and say, I've done this for 30 years, I had no idea it was an illness, I just thought, it was a, I thought I was a horrible person. Dr. Grant's patients are usually, now look, get this, usually in their late 30s, early 40s, most stealing since they were teenagers, often struggling with depression, and most are women. Probably because men are less likely to seek help and more likely to get caught and be in jail. Dr. Grant goes on, compulsive shoplifters are not the beady-eyed, lawless characters one might envision. They are always the opposite. Many are religious, meaning they come to a church like this. They have very strong ethical code. That's why they feel such deep shame and embarrassment. And when shoplifters come to him, they say, why do I do this? I never want to, but I have to. And I thought, it must be terrible sitting in a church service 
and hearing, do not steal, and not being able to resist the compulsion. So as they've done research on stealing, they realized, not the other three, because they require premeditation, it's, it's impulsive behavior that comes out of emotional as well as mental brokenness and unresolved issues that need to be addressed. And so I want you to, if you're sitting here and you struggle with shoplifting, I want you to know that you aren't a horrible person. You're struggling with something that comes from deep within that needs to be addressed. And the way that we address all sin, because it still is sin, but the way we address that sin and brokenness is always the same in Scripture. It's always first we bring it into the light. All sin, we bring it into the light to the one or two or three people that we will lean on for support to deal with whatever sin we're dealing with. We bring it into the light and we tell those people, I need to tell you something. I'm going to need your help. This is what's true of me. Because you need them, you need their acceptance, you need their love, and you need their prayer. And then you find help with somebody who can help you with that specific sin. So I Googled this morning, kleptomania counselors, and in Toronto, a whole bunch. People who understand what drives this behavior. And so the word of God says don't steal, and the the, the word of God says there is grace and strength in Christ. You don't need to live in the shame. You don't need to live in the pain. You don't need to live in the guilt. You, if you're willing to confess to the right people and get help, you, by the grace of God, will find freedom. And so I want to pray for those of you that may be struggling with this because you don't have to if you're willing to step into the fight. Let's pray. God, I want to just lift up any here who may be struggling with shoplifting and struggling with the guilt and the shame and the, the imprisonment that Satan has them in. I pray that they would trust you by confessing that sin to those that they need to and then getting the help that they need and that they would find freedom that comes through Christ, through your spirit, through your word, and through the help of others around them. And so as our brothers and sisters struggle with this, we pray for them and lift them up and ask for your releasing and victory in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you shall not steal. I think beyond the shoplifting, it's pretty clear to us we shouldn't take things that belong to our neighbors, belong to our brothers or sisters. How many fights have you had, parents, on that one? They took my... And you shouldn't take things that belong to our workplace. We shouldn't take things that belong anywhere. Don't steal. Respect the people around you. Now, the next one is you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, the term false testimony, we don't use that that much. And so I want to give you a definition of what false testimony is because often we'll shorten this down to lie, but this is not just about lying. It includes it, but it's not just about lying. Can I have that screen that is, uh, because I've forgotten the test. There we go, yeah. To speak falsely, or unjustly. So you can speak unjustly about a person and not say anything false. To speak falsely or unjustly against a person 
in order to hurt them or their reputation. Or to say it a better way, in such a way that hurts them or their reputation. You might not even mean to. You're just saying stuff about another person. But what you say hurts them or their reputation. That is being a false witness. Now there's a whole lot going on in the heart that if I'm going to speak about another person, there's obviously something wrong within me if I feel I need to tell you something bad or harmful to another person. There's unresolved conflict, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's unforgiveness. Whatever's going on in here is what promotes what comes out here. Now, whereas shoplifting may not be as common among us, uh, this one is, I think, fairly common among us. I don't think any of us could say, I have never talked about another person. So this one is for you and me. This is the one that happens regularly because some of us delight in it. We like to talk about other people. It makes us feel better. Or we're hurt by other people, so we talk about them. Or it's happening around us and we get sucked into it. Or I don't know why. We, we, we have something going on inside that promotes this. In my study, I came across this quote. In Christian living rooms, or we could say in, you know, coffee shops or restaurants. But in Christian living rooms, reputations are tarnished or destroyed over cups of coffee served in fine china with dessert. These de facto courtrooms are conducted without the due process of law. He's comparing those uh, living rooms and those coffee shops as you're treating the person like it's a courtroom, but there's no due process. Like in court, if you go to court, you can't just say whatever you want. It has to be backed up. It has to be proven. It has to be according to the rules of the court, but not in these de facto courtrooms. You can say whatever you want. Uh, Accusations are made, heresies allowed, slander, perjury, libellous comments, uttered without any objection. Nobody there to say, hold it. How can you say that? How do you know that? There's nothing going on. You just get to say whatever you want. No evidence, no no defense. As Christians, we must refuse to participate or to tolerate any conversation in which a person is being defamed or accused without the person being present to defend themselves. It's wrong to pass along hearsay in any form even as a prayer request or a pastoral concern. More than merely not participating, it is up to Christians to stop rumors and those who spread them in their tracks. Wow. Now, it'd be easy for me to rail on this one and really, you know, ah, you bad, you're all bad, you're all your lips and what you're saying, you know, I could really... Like this is like the hellfire and brimstone passage that we all love to preach on as pastors because we just get to let loose, uh, not realizing that, well, what's coming out here has, must be wrong with something in here. It happens on this side of the pulpit as well as that side of the pulpit, so we have to be careful what we say. But I thought, actually, this, this gives us great opportunity. I'm telling you, I've been to a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've done a lot of them, but I've sat in a lot of them. And I've been in a lot of non-Christian funerals. And this comment I hear a lot 
in non-Christian funerals. I hear it in Christian funerals too, but it strikes me as interesting that it comes up at a non-Christian funeral. When somebody gets up to say a few words about the person that has died, and they'll say something like this, well, Bob, one thing I can say about him, he never talked bad about another person. I think, interesting that they would notice that. Interesting. I think people notice it because it's so common for us to talk about others. And so when somebody doesn't, it strikes us as unusual. What are we supposed to be in this world as Christians? Unusual. Not because we have these weird personality quirks, but because we behave differently than the world. And I think this gives us an incredible opportunity to be a witness in our world by putting a gate on our mouth when we're talking, well, not talking about other people, not when we're talking, just not talking about other people. This is one way you can be a witness in your family, in your workplace, among your friends, is asking the Holy Spirit to begin to do a work in you so that you never talk about another person. That's called being light. And it's noticed. Now, I know what the op- uh, opposition is, because I, uh, I argue myself with this when I'm going to say something like that, is, but what about when another person hurts me Or what happens if I'm sitting in a conversation and somebody else is talking about another person? Well, it's not me. I'm just kind of caught in the conversation. Well, the interesting thing is Jesus gives us really clear direction on this. So, Matthew chapter uh, 18. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says... If your brother or sister sins, in other words, they do something that hurts you, or they're doing something that's hurting them, and they need to be rescued from it, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Notice, just between the two of you. Say that out loud with me. Just between the two of me. Not... Okay, I know you're, you're going to push back on this. Not you and your spouse. Not you and your friend. Not you and your small group. You and the person, just that person. Now, we had a discussion about this in our lead team. So Dustin, Lillian, and I were talking about dealing with this because we're getting a sense that this keep is kind of popping up in our church now. And I think it's a spiritual attack to destroy our unity. And so that's one of the reasons I want to talk about this. But we, we raise the other side of it, so nobody can really argue with Matthew 18. If i got a problem, I'm supposed to go to you. Uh, but what if I don't know what to do? I don't know how to handle. What if I'm really upset? I need pastoral <laughs> concern, pastoral help. And I thought, well, okay, uh, how would I answer that? Well, sometimes, yes, we do need to talk through it. But if the other person knows who we're talking about, we've gone too far. So, if you feel from your spouse or your best friend, 
you need some help on figuring out how to deal with this, then they should not know who you're talking about or I think you have crossed the line. Now, that's one way to look at it. Or you can look at it from Jesus' point of view. If there's a sin, go point out the fault just between the two of you. I don't think that's hard to understand. It's just hard to what? Do. Not hard to understand what Jesus is saying. It's hard to do. And so we justify our actions, or we don't justify them. We just, we just let our heart that's hurting, that's been offended, that's been wounded, that's maybe unforgiving, or has hatred, we let that dictate what comes out of our mouth instead of this. Now, what if it doesn't work, Ed? But if they listen to you, you have won them over. And here's the implication. Just the, 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 the sin or the hurt or the offense is, is contained between just you two. It hasn't spread out. And here's why that's important. Paul says in Galatians 5, if you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out or you'll be destroyed by one another. What he's saying is you keep going around talking about one another, you are going to destroy one another. And the reason why this is so important for Springvale is historically we have been passed on a unity for this church. Wouldn't you say that, Terry? That has been one of the things that's marked this church as different from other churches is there's a unity. And that is largely because people obeyed Matthew 8 rather than letting themselves I'm not saying nobody ever talked about anybody but I'm saying that there was a commitment to deal with things and that came from as far as I can tell Bob Fleming because if he had a problem with you you didn't have to wait to hear about it and that set a culture in this church of unity well Bob isn't here anymore and so we don't have Bob to hold us accountable but we have the scriptures, and if we give ourselves to talking about one another instead of obeying the scriptures, what will happen is we will destroy the unity of this church. Warning. And you will destroy your own friendships and destroy maybe even your family. And you'll certainly destroy your witness. So keep it between you and them. That's what scripture says. But if they won't listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, you may not be familiar with it, but in the Old Testament, if you had a complaint, there was no law courts. They would go to the village or the city gates where the elders sat, and they were the legal representative, the judges of that town. And so if, you, if I was going to complain about you or I had a problem with you, I would go get one or two other people who, knew, who could testify that what I was saying was true and then when I presented my case they would say yep what he's saying is true and then the elders would make a ruling on that now if I'm going to go to you and talk to you about a problem we have I'm not supposed to bring my wife and my mother because they're decidedly biased 
The two or three witnesses are people uh, that you respect and I respect that can, because the point is not for me to get my way. The point is for this to be resolved in a small way as possible and in a godly way. And so the two or the one or two witnesses should be men or women who are people of godly character, who can sit in, who are not biased, and both people feel safe. So uh, uh, don't bring your spouse, don't bring your best friend, don't bring your whatever, because it's not fair to the other person. Two or three witnesses. Now, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. So if you've been to them and they don't listen, it could be you're wrong and they're right. But your, your, your soul's not satisfied. So go get one or two witnesses and go back at it again. And, and it may take a couple meetings, that's okay. But if the two or three witnesses say, you're wrong, Ed, then I need to go back to that person and apologize and make things right. But if they say, no, no, Mike, you're wrong. And Mike goes, I'm not doing anything about it. Then Jesus says, you take it to the church, i.e. the elders. You don't stand up in the middle of a service, I got something I want to say about Mike. <laughs> We have a sniper up in the balcony. They'll take you right out. Like, it'll just be blood everywhere. It'll be a mess. So don't do that, please. <clears throat> okay, for those of you listening that didn't know that was a joke, no, we don't have a sniper here with a gun. <laughs> and if they refuse to listen, because so, now it's an issue of pride and unrepentance, then the elders are to deal, it with, deal with it. In other words, they're to rebuke that person before the church and treat them as a tax collector or pagan. So... A couple things I want to say about this uh, teaching of Jesus. Talk to the person, not about the person. Anytime you're talking about another person in a negative way, you are sinning. Because Jesus said, talk to the person, not about the person. Talk to the person, not about the person. That's why I'm not even sure I should be talking to Crystal if I have a problem with you. I know, I know, you're going to argue, that's my spouse, we're one, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus says, go to the person. Now, I'll give you that, I'll give you that margin if you need it. But let me just suggest this. Make it so that your spouse doesn't know the name of the person you're dealing with. And here's why. When I talk to you about somebody, I color your view about that person. I go back and am resolved. You never get, you don't go back. Yeah, Ed, talk to me about you. Now I want to get this thing worked out. That's not gonna, the way it's going to come down. You're just going to be quiet about it. And then something else may happen and you have a different view of that person. And let me just say, so Crystal and I never, ever talked about the church when our boys were sitting around us. Never. Because we knew that we start talking about the difficulties we're having or the pain we're having, then they would get a negative impression of the church. And you wonder why sometimes? Maybe this is why your kids don't want anything to do with the church, because all you've done is complained about it in front of them. And you need to go back and apologize to them and tell them you were hurting and you were sinning. 
God's doing a great work, whether it's this church or any other church you're part of, that I am sorry I destroyed that church. If you keep on biting and devouring, watch out. You will, you will destroy one another, and the person you destroy may be your kid because you didn't put a guard here. Don't quit the process early would be another thing. If you go to the person and it doesn't work out, bring one or two witnesses back. Resolve it. Resolve it. Nothing good except demonic activity and broken spirit comes of unresolved relationships. Nothing good. You may not be able to resolve it because they don't want to, but at least do the process Jesus tells us to do. Don't listen to people talking about others. Direct them. Okay, this is, the, is going to be as if this isn't challenging enough. I'm going to up the bar, put it up a little bit higher. When you're sitting with another person or a group of people and somebody starts talking about somebody, as soon as you realize what's going on, because you know, it takes us a second, say this. You know, I can tell that Mike really hurt you. If you're interested, I can share with you how Jesus can help you bring about resolution. Now, two things. The moment you interrupt them and admit that they're hurting because of what Mike did or Mary or whoever it was, you're giving compassion to them. And the moment you tell them about Jesus, you're bringing light. Now, if they want to follow up and resolve it because nothing will be resolved if they do not go back to the person that hurt them. They can talk, all they, they can talk to a thousand people and talking to a thousand people will only make it worse. It won't make it better. That's why, that's one of the reasons I think Jesus says, go to that person because it will never be resolved. It will never bring peace until you talk to that person. Is it hard? Uh huh. Does it take a lot of courage? Oh, yeah. Does it work? Uh huh. Will you feel good afterwards? Absolutely. Because even if it's not resolved, the person doesn't want to resolve it. You have done what's right. And God gives a peace with that. I know that because I've experienced it. And when somebody, sitting there passively, (laughs) Jesus isn't going to take, well, you know, we were talking about Mike, but I didn't say anything. Yeah, but you sat there and let it happen in front of you. And so a simple thing, hey, I can tell Mike really hurt you. If you'd like, I can share with you something Jesus tells us to do that really will help you in this situation. Then let them decide if they want to do the right thing or not. And if they keep on talking, there's nothing holding you there. I'm going to tell you, that done in a church changes the church. That done in a workplace brings incredible respect. By the way, this works if you use it. I can say that because it's the words of Jesus and he never lies and he's never wrong, but I can say it because I've done it. I've not done it too. I've I, I failed to have the courage to, to actually go talk to people I should have. And when I failed, I just yeah, carried it around with me. I, I don't think there's a problem with this. I don't think the problem is that we've tried it and it doesn't work. I think the problem is that we haven't tried it. 
And so, in the Old Testament, God spoke to Moses and he said, Bear no false witness. Do not speak falsely or unjustly about another person. In the New Testament, Jesus reveals how we deal with that. You go to them. Now, I'm guessing some of you right now have some faces in your mind or situations and you go, yeah, I blew it there. It's time to unblow it. To confess to God, yeah, I blew it there. You want to really deal with this? When you tell somebody, here, I just thought of this. And when you tell somebody, hey, uh, if th- I can tell Mike really hurt you. If you would like to know about how to deal with this, uh, uh, Jesus tells us. And then, and then say, I'll be back. I'll be praying for you. And I'll be back in touch with you in two weeks to see how it went. I just have one verse I want to read. Just as... This is pastoral concern, how important this is. Jesus says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have been spoken. He's serious about this. Jesus, uh, I'll confess, I'll stand here and confess that this is a sin I have committed it's a sin that comes easily and I believe it's a sin that we commit and it comes easily to us and we pray for your forgiveness that we have harmed you we have harmed others we have harmed the body and we pray for courage to do what's right and obey the word and we pray for freedom to be out of that loop of of hurt and malice and anger where the evil one begins to impact us and have influence on us. So deliver us from our own sin, Lord, and grant us the courage to obey you in this, I pray. Amen.